Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning again, everyone. And uh, let's give Nathan a hand. He did a great, doesn't doing a great job with that video. We really appreciate him and Tracy and them being here with us. We're really thankful. And hey, just a quick update on the the water thing. Uh, you know, I don't know what Pastor Jordan told you this service. Last service, he came out and said something about we'll give you a million dollars if you can talk Pastor Paul into going on the tubing day. And we're not giving out a million dollars. Anyway, it was a joke, but I said, maybe if somebody gives a million dollars toward our building, I'll probably jump on that too, but no, we're not going to do that either. Well, anyway, it's a lot of fun, and we hope you'll come. Hey, this Kids Outreach, Kids Summer Outreach Week was awesome, and I know you already talked about it, but I just want to take a moment as a pastor and rejoice to watch all these kids. Over the week, there were just about, I think, 97 different kids came in here uh, through the week. I've ministered to, uh, I don't know how many of them. I think at one point, Pastor Jordan told me there was 12 people that really had made a conscious choice to welcome Jesus in their life, probably more by the end of the week. And all of that, and you just think about all the things God looks at and the things we focus on, and you have to wonder, you know, what makes Jesus really happy and you pretty much got to think he's got to be really happy watching all those kids learn about him. And, and I know you did it already, but we didn't do it. Pastor Jordan and Carrie, our whole staff and all those, would you give them a big hand? They do a great job. So this week, this Sunday, right now here today, this is going to be our last Sunday in our series on Kings and Prophets. I'm really excited to share this story with you and, and I'm praying with all my heart that this message today will really find a place in you and that God will form it and use it to bring real help to people. All summer we've been talking and following these stories of kings and prophets. This morning it's not going to be a secret. We're going to talk about Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah the prophet appeared on the scene in what could be called the darkest hour of the history of this nation. Maybe and maybe not. But it reminds me of something as we think about it. Uh, I, I like to listen to speeches and learn about history. And there is a historical speech that, that is really profound and notable. It was the speech given by Winston Churchill uh, on the beginning or the, the preface of what he knew was to become the Battle of Britain when, when the Nazis bombed London for a, a period of 24-7 for a long period. And he knew it was coming, everyone knew it was coming, and, and it was his awful duty to try to prepare the people for what he knew would be a terrible hour of sacrifice and loss. And so he gives a speech in his kind of grovelly tone, those of you that have heard recordings of him. And the speech later was called the finest hour speech, the finest hour. And what was really masterful about that speech was he found a way to take the worst moment in their history 
and turn it into something that would be remembered as their finest hour. They were about to be bombed almost into oblivion. Hundreds and thousands of lives, billions of dollars of property were to be destroyed. The very hope and future of their nation was to teeter on the edge of annihilation over the next weeks. And he knew it and everyone knew it. And yet in the middle of that speech, he, he found a way to tap into the resource of hope and determination in their people. And he tapped into that to such a degree that he said, I hope as we find a way to stand for right and truth and light against darkness, I hope that later in years, if our empire should endure for a thousand years, people will remember this as our finest hour. I don't want to talk about Winston Churchill today. I'm going to talk about Jeremiah the prophet. Because I believe there's a similar message for us in his life and book. Because their nation as well found itself during the historical period of Jeremiah, their nation found itself on an eve of their darkest moment. And yet we're going to see today a pathway to what could be their finest hour. Would you join me in a prayer before we continue anymore? Lord Jesus, we humble our hearts before you because all of us, like Jeremiah and people all over this planet, need your help. We need your help to rise up past our failing. We need to rise up past what's around us to overcome our past and to give direction to our future. I pray that today you will speak to us and help us to hear what you have to say and to be formed into the people that, that we would experience the change we need today to achieve our finest hour. We ask your help in these next moments in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. A beautiful scripture as we begin today is one that many of us know. Isaiah 61 verse 3 said that he will give you beauty for ashes. Everyone say beauty for ashes. It's a beautiful word picture. Because the ashes, the picture of ashes, describe hopelessness and loss. And beauty and ashes just don't go together. He gives us beauty for ashes. As we think today a little bit about the prophet Jeremiah and the place he found himself in, we'll find that the nation was headed toward what would be ashes, an experience of great loss. And we'll find that through this prophet, God was going to give an opportunity for beauty in their future. How are we going to reconcile it? Let's talk this morning about it. We'll read at the beginning, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1 through 5. It is the introduction of this prophet, his book, and we'll go forward from here. Jeremiah 1.1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were at Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. We'll pause there for just a moment because this is, a, this is the historical background. We're going to spend a lot of time on it. Three kings were here listed, Ammon, Josiah, 
Zedekiah, and Jehoiakim. I guess that's four. And those kings were the tail end of a bad period of history. A few weeks back, if those of you that were here may remember, I brought my notes up here and managed to confuse the pages together, but I, I was making a point that here's King Hezekiah and he got the threatening letter and, and he laid it before the Lord. And some of you remember, I, I tried to describe here Hezekiah laying this letter before the Lord and God answered his prayer. You remember the story? King Hezekiah was a great king. And then at the end of his life, Hezekiah was confronted by the prophet about what was going to come in the future. And the prophet said to him, the prophet Isaiah said, even your sons are going to be carried away into Babylon in the future and going to be made to serve in the palace of their king. And Hezekiah said, well, that's a good word because at least it won't happen in my lifetime. And it didn't. But his son uh, went on. His son's name was Manasseh. And Manasseh the king was perhaps the most evil, dark, pagan, and wicked king their nation had ever known. The words that describe what he did describe things that are hard to read with children present. Filling the streets of Jerusalem with innocent blood, putting pagan idols and shrines and temple prostitution and every kind of evil worship in the very temple of God in the holy place and worshiping all these idols, just offering his own children as living sacrifice to pagan gods, horrible, and then led the nation into this terrible period of darkness. Then his son Ammon comes along and he's worse yet. And by now the kingdom is, is I mean, the, the writing's on the wall. They've, they've sown a lot of bad seeds and here comes Josiah his grandson, or his third in line, and Josiah has an experience of great revival. On Wednesday night, we're talking about Josiah, so we're going to leave him there. Great revival, but it only lasted a lifetime. After him, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was on the rise. He was empire building, and he had invaded nations all around him, conquered marauding tribes, and expanded the borders of his kingdom all the way up to Jerusalem and there's Josiah and there's Jeremiah and there's a cloud on the horizon a great cloud of judgment everyone didn't see it but the word for prophet really means seer and Jeremiah saw that cloud Jeremiah saw what was coming and it wasn't coming as a punishment as much as it was a reaping of what you've sown we'll talk about that and Jeremiah comes at that moment to share the way to get people to God in the middle of a mess, from ashes to beauty. It said, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month, the end of the story was King Nebuchadnezzar did come with his general Nebuchadnezzar, and they came and they besieged the city, they destroyed the city, they burned the houses, they tore down every stone. They took away the temple of God, took all the gold and all the wealth and all the instruments of worship that Solomon the king had made for God and they carried him away to Babylon. They killed thousands of people, carried away captives to their nation and left that nation in ashes. That cloud Jeremiah saw, even though others saw a partly cloudy sky, Jeremiah saw the storm coming. And his was the duty 
to find a way to take a nation that he knew was going to be in the middle of a great storm and find a way to get them to God before it was too late and without the terrible consequences to all of them personally. Verse 4 of chapter 1. So now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, quote, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Everyone say prophet to the nations. One of the things I hope to bring to you today is a remembrance is the concept of a prophet to the nations or a prophet to anyone. I think very often we consider a prophet as sort of a glorified messenger boy, which means they're going along minding their own business and all of a sudden, oh, ooh, this is a message from God. Who is it to? Mm, oh, it's to so-and-so. Okay, here you go. Here's your message. And they just walk away. And I think a lot of times people think that that's kind of the concept of prophet. The prophet just gives a message and I don't care. I'm out of here. You deal with it. Not so with Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't so much just a delivery boy. He was a spiritual guide to a nation. He wasn't just a messenger. He lived the message. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Any idea why? Because Jeremiah saw that cloud coming and he knew the awful price that the people would pay when their sowing of sin would reap a harvest of destruction. And he, he saw that harvest coming and it was his to say, oh, I wish this wouldn't happen. I'm so sorry this is going to happen. I'm going to warn you that it's coming to prepare the best you can and to repent before it's too late for you personally. But, but he, he embodied that message and in one chapter of his book he said this prayer, Lord, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep for those the daughters of my people. He wasn't just a messenger. He embodied the message of love and compassion toward his people. And he found himself in a very interesting spot. A little background really quick and then we're going to get to the application. This whole event happened 900 years after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They had from that period up until now had a series of disappointments, excitements, victories, defeats, sin and failure all packaged together in 900 years of history. By this time, the, the northern kingdom of Israel had been besieged by the king of Assyria and destroyed and wiped out. After a horrible stretch of these evil leaders, King Josiah, whom we mentioned, brings a reformation for a generation. A true repentance and reformation came to the nation, which postponed that cloud from coming and lighting upon them. Babylon, the great kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar, was arising and conquering and empire building and, and conquering nation and kingdom after kingdom. And Jerusalem was their next target. And here's Jeremiah. He comes upon that scene. He sees the storm there. The hopes of the people were saying, no, we won't be defeated. We'll, we'll conquer this king of Babylon. But it wasn't to be so. And here's the concept. And we're going to kind of leave Israel or Judah alone for a little bit. We know that they have a storm cloud on their horizon. And we know that God sent a prophet by the name of Jeremiah to show them the way to God in the middle of that storm. Israel, the nation of God, 
was in trouble. Everyone say trouble. I want to talk to us about trouble. Let's leave, let's leave the Israelites alone for a little bit. And let's, let's talk about our own spiritual journeys, if we will. Because none of us go through life without trouble. Trouble doesn't seem to be fair. It always seems like when you're suffering it, yours is worse than most everyone else's. But the truth is, everyone has trouble. And, you know, depending upon your makeup, I guess, I, I, I get over-analytical about things. And so if I find myself in trouble, I'm always analyzing, okay, well, how did this happen? What did this happen? What did, did I do this? Did this happen? And there's always, a, there's, for me, there's always an analyzation. So, so here's the first kind of trouble that people find themselves in. I'll just give you an example. The first kind of trouble is, in my mind, it's this. It's trouble just because you live in a world that's full of people that are imperfect and there's darkness and sin in our world, okay? This kind of trouble is not personal, but it still hurts. Here's an example of that kind of trouble. Uh, Saturday, you're having a great day and you have a nice prayer time in the morning with the fam and uh, you spend some nice time together. Everybody's happy. You're just, you're just really doing well. Read your Bible. You know, pray for your neighbors. Do the whole thing. Sunday morning, you get up early. Hey, I'm gonna, we're going to have breakfast and go to church. We're going to do this Christian church family thing the right way. And you have breakfast and you pray and you read your Bible. And everybody gets ready on time, which is a miracle. And you get to church with a car full of kids and nobody fought. And it's like, yes, God, victory. There is a God. Anyway, so you get there and you're... And, 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 you, and maybe you didn't get to church. I ran ahead of my story. And you go out to start your car to get to church. And the car makes a funny noise. And you look underneath and there's a bunch of oil on your floor. And you realize my engine's blown. My head gasket's blown. You think, that's, that's a couple thousand bucks. How are we going to fix that? And you think, oh, I guess I'll deal with that later. Throw the kids in the car, start the other car, get halfway there. Flat tire. Something else happens. You finally get to church and you walk in here and then you walk into church and somebody looks at you funny. You think, I knew they were gossiping about me all week long anyway. And by the time you sit up, stand up to worship, it's like, what did I do? What did all this trouble happen for? Is, is this the devil? Is this, you know, what, what's wrong? I, I had such a good day. And now that's just trouble that happens. I hope it doesn't happen to you. But, you know, we all get little things and sometimes big things. And they're not connected, but that's not the kind of trouble I want to talk about today. There's another kind of trouble. This is the not fun kind. This is the trouble that we would say is self-inflicted trouble. Anybody, I know nobody here has ever had self-inflicted trouble, right? So you just look at your neighbor and say, not me, not me. Anyway, self-inflicted trouble. Israel's trouble was self-inflicted. The storm on their horizon was their own making. They had gone against God's warning and his commandments not one time, not 10 times, not 50 times, but for hundreds of years of times. They had rejected prophet after prophet after warning after warning. And the problems that were coming to them were the reaping of the seeds that they had sown. Galatians chapter 6 says, God, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man will reap exactly what he sows. Sows to the flesh, reap destruction. Sow disobedience, reap trouble. This was self-inflicted trouble. 
Now, self-inflicted trouble, when we get in that trouble, I know none of you ever have been, but if, you're, if you ever were to find yourself in self-inflicted trouble, it's the hardest kind to get out of. Because what are you going to say? I did this. I caused this. I'm just going to rebuke the devil and it'll go away. No, you can't rebuke the devil because you kind of are the devil here in this one. And, and well, it's kind of like this. I think people, when we find ourselves in self-inflicted trouble, we don't know how to get out of it. We don't know which path to take to get to God. And a lot of times we take the wrong pathway. We find ourselves there and we take the wrong pathway. Here are some pathways that people take when they try to get out of self-inflicted trouble. Panic and fear. It's natural. <gasps> oh no. I can't believe I did that. I, I didn't think this would be that serious. And look what happened. No. Panic. Fear. And we walk down that pathway of panic and fear. But it doesn't take us to God. It takes us away from God. Or there's the pathway of depression and despair. Oh no, what have I done? Oh, forget it. It doesn't even pay to, it's not worth living. This is awful. It's despair. And that's not a pathway that takes you to God. Or there's the pathway of anger and blaming others. That's a common pathway. Oh no, you know, if it wouldn't have been for so and so. And we blame others and we're angry. But it doesn't take us to God. It takes us away from God. Jeremiah the prophet was sent to a nation of people who had their oh no moment. He said, see that king? See the soldiers out there on the hills? Those are Babylonians. And they're going to turn the city to ashes. And even when they were willing to say, oh no, what do they do? Some of them panicked and feared. Others of them went to despair. The king and the leadership went to blaming and they blamed Jeremiah and they were angry at him. He suffered terribly being put in prison multiple times, tortured, abused because they wanted someone to blame. They had their own oh no moment. Now, here's, here's what I want to get us to with Jeremiah because all of us have oh no moments. Now, maybe, and I hope, I hope your oh no moment comes from the fact that you were supposed to call so-and-so to remind them to water your flowers because you're on vacation and you didn't and they didn't and your flowers are dead and you come home and go, oh no, the flowers. I hope that's as serious as it ever gets. But we know that it gets more serious, right? We know that those oh no moments can be, oh no. When we have those oh no moments, how do we find the path to God? Because he's the only way out. Despair isn't a path out. Anger, blaming somebody else is not a path out. Panic and fear is not a path out. Jeremiah showed them the path. Now, there's a scripture in the New Testament that I want to uh, talk about just a little bit because it'll be helpful. But to, to give the setting, I would tell you this, if you're just in general trouble and it's not your fault, going to God's not too hard. You just kind of get up the gumption to say, well, oh, rough day. Lord, I really need you today. You know, I, I really need your help. That's okay. 
And I find that most people find a very short path to God when everything's going really good and successful. For example, you get up, go to work, don't feel particularly great or inspired. Maybe you're just okay with your job. And you walk in and the boss says, I need to see you right away. Pulls you into the office. Maybe you're feeling a little bit nervous. And he goes, listen, here's the deal. Um, company has had a great expansion. We've got a lot of extra income. So we're going to give you triple your salary for a third of your hours. And we're going to give you a position that allows you to work from home and pretty much do whatever you want. And we'll pay it for the rest of your life, even if you quit working and retire. Now, how many of you from that moment would find a really long path to get to God? No, it'd be a short path. Thank you, God. I can't believe this is awesome. I'm here. Wow. Thanks, God. Now, if you have trouble that's happening in your life, but it's not your fault, it might be, God, I'm going to get over here. Here you are. I can thank you anyway. But when you're in trouble because you caused it, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, or else, and you do it, here comes or else. Oh, no. That's a longer path. How do I get back? Jeremiah showed them the path. And it's difficult to get to God in that moment. And let me give you an example of, uh, you know, at least my funny example. But, you know, I don't know why it always goes back, but a family example is important. And for me, this was a clear one. And, uh, you know, if you were a little child and uh, your dad bought you a new bike, and I don't think this actually ever happened to me, but plenty, plenty of other experiences were close enough. Whereas if I had gotten a new bike and my dad finally bought me the new bike and we're on a farm and he says, hey, Paul, you need to put that bike away. You're always leaving it lay in the yard. One of these days, somebody's going to run over that bike. Just put it away. Oh, oh yeah, oh, sure, whatever. Don't put it away. Put the bike away. Almost ran over it again. Day after day after day after day. And you go, yeah, forget it. I'm not putting that bike away. He's not going to run over it. He's not blind. He can see where he's driving. Come on. And, and then you happen to be looking out the window one day. And there comes dad out of the shed with the tractor. And there's the bike. And crunch flattens that thing right out. Now, depending on your childhood, but I can tell you what mine was like. At that moment, the pathway to dad was not... Hey, Dad, I see you run over my bike. Would you buy me a new one, please? How many know that pathway is not working? And I'm not walking down that pathway. I see that crunch, and I'm crunching inside, thinking what? Oh, no. Everyone say, oh, no. Oh, no. It happened, just like he warned me. And I'm betting that he's not terribly happy right now. And I'm betting that inside of his mind somewhere is brewing a real brutal sermon of I told you so, maybe even some bad expletives that I can't repeat because I'm going to get it when he reminds me that I told you and you did it anyway and now there's your bike. So what I want to do, avoid dad. I want to find a quick way to do some extra chores that can be done and he can see without me even talking to him. I want to find a way for me to make sure everything got cleaned and everything got put away and the garage is cleaned and the tractor is polished and the calves are fed and the farm is happy and, there, and I just sneak by and then you sit down for breakfast. He's looking at you. You're looking down at your cereal and you're just hoping we're not talking about the bike. Now, that's a childhood experience. But here's a scripture in Hebrews 4. It said, let us therefore come boldly 
to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Come boldly. No way on earth I'm going to dad boldly for anything when I'm looking at my bike in the driveway smashed. I just want to talk to him. And that's what we do to God. That's what we do. We have our oh no moments like, oh no. Oh. Why don't we pray? Why don't you pray? I'm not praying right now. I don't want to talk to God. God's the one that tells me that I shouldn't have did this and, and he warned me over and over and I did it and now I got it and what am I going to ask him? New bike? Hey God, I want a new bike. Got this one ran over somehow. I don't know how that happened. You can't do it. Jeremiah found a way to reach the hearts of the people in his nation who were having their own oh no moment and said, you can do it. You can get back to God. You can get back to God. My, my point today is very simple. It's this. As long as we believe in Jesus, there is no such a thing as hopeless. As long as we believe in Jesus, there is no such a thing as hopeless. And that's the message of Jeremiah. And people think, no, I've read the book. It's all, this is going to happen, and woe to you. And all. Yes, it's all of that. But, you know, I'll, I'll bet that there's any number of you here today that have written somewhere, either on a, a tablet or a, a, a box or a, a Christian plaque or maybe on a magnet on your refrigerator. I'll bet that you have this scripture. And here it is, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Very popular. And this was the word that came from the mouth of the weeping prophet who saw the storm coming in their oh no moment. And here's one of the things he told them. Speaking for God, he said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a welfare, not for evil. I know the plans I have for you. It's bigger than a bike. It's bigger than you can't ride your bike, so you got to walk. It's bigger than condemnation. I have plans to give you a future. You see, Jeremiah wasn't just a messenger. He was a weeping prophet because he embodied God's compassion towards sinful people. God wasn't just angry. God was compassionate. Israel had reaped what they had sown for generations, and that couldn't be stopped. But in the midst of their reaping, Jeremiah said, God's had a hand of compassion extended to you. Will you take his hand? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. Dad hates me. No, he doesn't hate you. I want to give you a future. And I want to give you a hope. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. This is what God wants to do with us. All of us have our oh no moments. Like I said, maybe, maybe it's you forgot the water of the plants. I hope that's as bad as it gets. Maybe it's a little more serious. Maybe there's a relationship that you've neglected and, and some bad seeds you've sown and, and, and you're coming home to someone that, that you once thought you were really close to and they're not as close and you're going, oh no. How'd that happen? Maybe 
is something dark that, that you sowed seeds into and a harvest of darkness is knocking on your door. You're thinking, oh no, no, how could it be? And the truth is, in those moments, there's a path back to God. There's a way to get to him. Because if you believe that he's angry and against you, if you believe that what he really wants to do is say, I'm finished with you, you're not going to get to him. You're going to be like me and my dad at breakfast. He's looking toward me and I'm looking at the floor. We don't want to talk right now. And the truth is, it's not going to get better. We just think it gets better. Say, so, well, I just don't feel like praying right now. Well, maybe three, four days goes by. Well, now I feel like praying. But nothing changed because you just, you just distanced yourself from God. And now your emotions have settled down a little bit. But the truth is, you still got the cloud there on the horizon. Jeremiah said, let's deal with that cloud. Let's find a way to put it away. Let's, let's find a way to do the right thing. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace boldly to obtain mercy mercy you know what mercy is pretty simple it means you don't get what you deserve you don't get boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy here's a real simple example of how we can pray for mercy you know I hope you don't but if you go out of here today and you get on the highway and you're just feeling the summer breeze and the excitement of everything and your foot gets a little heavy on the gas and even though the speed limit says 55 you're going 78 and you're just soaring down singing worship songs along with the with the radio and all of a sudden you see red and blue flashers in your rearview mirror and you have the moment that says what? Oh no. And you pull over. Oh no, a nice policeman comes up and goes, hello there. How are you doing today? What do you want to say? Oh, great, this is an awesome day. <laughs> if you just, anyway. So he comes, takes your driver's license and whatever else and he goes back in his car and he's doing his thing. And at that moment when he's in the car and you're sitting there and then your friends are going by from church, wave and you think of Tell the kids, get down. Don't wave at those people. Anyway, <laughs> you know what you're doing at that moment? You're praying. You know what you're praying for? Are you praying for justice? God, give me what I deserve out of this. No. What are you praying for? Mercy. Mercy, Lord, please. Oh, God. Ticket of $300 versus a warning. I got a warning or I got a ticket. Please have mercy. Give me the warning, right? You need mercy when you're in trouble, especially when it's of your own making. How should you go to the throne when you need mercy? What does it say? Let us come boldly. Lord God, I was wrong. I did this myself. I am really sorry. I thank you that Jesus by his blood has shed his blood, has paid the price like we commemorated in communion this morning. He paid the price so that I could be forgiven. I need your mercy. Father, I'm coming to you boldly. Please forgive me. Please show me the way. Please have mercy. And I'm going to hold on to you no matter what this whirlwind does to me. That's a good prayer. 
That's the pathway back to God in the middle of an oh no moment. And that's what Jeremiah kept pleading with the people to do. Soften your hearts. Turn to God. Don't, don't, don't fight against him. Don't hate me. Don't blame someone else. Realize that it was your own sin. Ask his forgiveness boldly. He will be merciful to you. You may not have a new bike in a week. But there will be mercy in your future. Friends, that's what the message of Jeremiah is to us today. And that's what I don't care where we find ourselves. It's the path to God. The last thing I want to talk about today is that the end, what looks like the end, may just be the beginning. You see, Jeremiah was, was kind of the last outpost of prophets in this season. We went all the way from Samuel and David to Jeremiah and Josiah. And throughout this history, we have kind of a spiral down and up. And, and I don't know if you've noticed it as much as I have, but preparing and studying and all the other preachers that have you know you really study these things and and you get your hopes up I mean they're beautiful stories and you get your hopes up and you get King David for example he's a great pre a great king a man after God's own heart and you see him going from the shepherd boy to killing Goliath to serving Saul to honoring Saul to being made king to being a great king to honoring God and what does he do that dumb Bathsheba thing. I mean, remember? And it's like, no, no, can we just erase that? This is such a beautiful story. This is like Disney ending stuff. And now it's not Disney. And it's a disappointment. And then you got other kings and prophets, and they do really good. And then something goes foul. I love movies with Disney endings. I, I like them on purpose. Matter of fact, I like watching them again and again rather than risking an awful sad one that I hate it when you watch the whole thing, you wait for the good and it's all bad. And it's like, oh, I hate that. So I, I go through these stories and think, oh, no. What'd you have to do that for? And it was a cycle. And even with Jeremiah, you're thinking, okay, here comes King of Babylon, really? That's going to be it? This beautiful temple that Solomon built? He's going to rip it apart, strip all the gold off, take all the stuff, burn the people, take every stone down from another, and take them all to Babylon. Hello, hey, welcome Walt Disney. That's not happening here. What's going on? Here's the point. No one is going to get us to God. None of these prophets and none of these kings are going to take us to God in the way that we really need to go. The kings, some of them good, some of them bad, all of them disappointing us in some way. The prophets were great, but they'd point the way to God. But I don't care if it was Samuel and David, if it was Elijah and Ahab, if it was Isaiah and Hezekiah, if it was Jeremiah and Josiah, it doesn't matter who it was, who the prophet were, was or who the king was. It didn't matter. All of them point us to God, but don't show us the way to walk into his presence. And you know, that's okay. Because this book is called the Old Testament for a reason. The Old Testament leads up to the New Testament. 400 years after the last prophet spoke, the last prophet in the Old Testament was Malachi. 400 years with no prophets, no voice, no spiritual 
I'm not saying God didn't work, but nothing recorded in the Bible. 400 years later, the real prophet, the greatest one that ever lived, was to appear. He was to come out dressed like Elijah of old in the wilderness of, the Ju of, of Judea by the Jordan River. And he was to stand there in his camel's hair garment and his leather belt and his long hair and beard. And he was to look at all those beautiful religious people standing before him. And he was to say, turn your life around for the kingdom of heaven has come. That was the true prophet. His name was John the Baptist. And one day as John was standing by that river baptizing people with perhaps hundreds of people there, he stepped out, gestured with his hand to a man we call Jesus. And he looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the King of heaven. He has come. I'm a prophet to point you to the true king. Elijah and Ahab couldn't do it. Isaiah and Hezekiah couldn't do it. Jeremiah and Josiah couldn't do it. But John the Baptist pointed us to Jesus. All of these prophets would show us things about God and tell us to try to be close to God. But no one could show the way to walk from our oh no moment right into the throne of God. But Jesus could. Thomas, the disciple, one day was asking him, and he, Jesus said, you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And Thomas said, Lord, we, you're way over our heads. We don't even know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? The way? You know how Jesus answered. He said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to walk to Jesus from your oh no moment? You want to walk right from that oh no to the very lap of God in his throne? You want to make that journey? Jesus is the way. Take his hand. Take his hand. Why do you think when Jesus came, sinful people, he never rejected them when they came to him? Why do you think? Because he doesn't care about sin? Of course he cares. He didn't reject them because he's the way out of it. He's the way out of it. This morning, I urge us all, get to Jesus. Even in your own no moment, even when it grates against you and you're ashamed and you're embarrassed, when you open your eye just a crack to look up at the presence of God, you won't see this. You're going to see this. Can I help you? Want to come out? But God, I've done this myself. I deserve it. caught in adultery. She deserves to be stoned, Lord. He said, nothing, nothing, nothing. And that's what he says to you when he could do this. Nothing. But God, I'm such a failure. I've done this again. I know. I've had enough. He says nothing. And as stones clunk from other people who have no business condemning you, he sticks his hand out. He said, want to get up? Want to come with me? Want to go to Father with me? Father doesn't condemn you either. I am the Lamb of God. 
he holds out a hand that has a hole in his wrist from the crucifixion that he endured to pay for our sin and our shame. He is the way back to God. All of these kings and prophets lead us to that true prophet and the true king who is the way to God. Nobody could get to God and not be disappointing in those Old Testament stories because it's not possible. Church isn't about people being good to impress God or earning your way with God or being perfect so God loves you. Church is about all of us lining up before the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and we all take communion the same way whether yesterday you were a lousy sinner or you've been a pastor all your life. We all walk up here. We all take that bread. We all take that juice and we say, Jesus, you're the reason we're here. Nobody's better and nobody's worse. But I do hope you don't turn away from him. Because turning away would be bad. Would you stand with me this morning? From ashes to beauty, from an oh no moment to sitting in the lap of God, this can be you. Would you bow your heads with me just now? Lord, here we are, none of us perfect. All of us have oh no moments. And as we do, I pray today that you'll help us turn to you and walk with you in Jesus' name. There are people, Father, that are literally chained to these bad pathways, people that are chained to anger and resentment and blaming others. I pray that today you help them to let that go and experience the freedom of walking into your presence. I pray for those today who are literally bound by discouragement and despair, that today you would help them arise and take your hand and step out of that darkness into your light. I pray today, Father, for those who are panicked and afraid that you would calm their sea of anxiety and help them to step out and walk on that water with you. In Jesus' name, help us all with your heads bowed this morning. Right now, today, all of this comes down to what are you gonna do with Jesus? And I, I'm not even talking about, you know, a nice little church thing. Yeah, I go to church, I sing a song, you know, I, I pray, put some money in the play. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you standing before the Lamb of God I'm talking about one day you're landing in heaven and you're knowing that you're there and you're innocent and clean, not because of what you've done, but you've welcomed Jesus to be your savior. If that describes you, then you'll be welcomed into heaven. And if you haven't done that, you haven't really received Jesus, today is your moment. Maybe you'll join those who were in our first service already today have said, yes, I want Jesus in my life. If it's you, I want you to just simply raise your hand before God. We're going to pray in a moment. And I want you to say, I want in on this prayer. I want to welcome Jesus in my life. And I don't need to see it. It's not for me. It's not for anybody else. We don't care. It's for you to register yourself to say, I'm going to, get, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I want Jesus in my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to know that when I, go to, when I die, I'm going to be with God without guilt and shame. How many of you here today, raise your hand, say, yes, this is me. All right. 
We're going to pray today as we conclude this series. But God will help us to hold to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and the one who baptizes with the Spirit of God and with fire. Father, we pray today that you would guide us into your presence. We pray today that you would help us experience your fullness. We pray today that you would help us have whatever we need. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And if you can agree, say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be dismissed. If you would like prayer for something, please come forward, and we'll be happy to pray for you. We'll have people at our altar to do that.